Welcome to T. Hanks for the Memories, a podcast about Tom Hanks. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Mazes and Monsters, uh, which is not a feature film, uh, but it is kind of Tom Hanks' first uh, big kind of film role uh, after his cameo in He Knows You're Alone. Uh, sometimes it's called Rona Jaffe's Mazes and Monsters. Uh, sometimes it's called Tom Hanks in Rona Jaffe's Mazes and Monsters because... Uh, after he got big, they really, really, really wanted to make it clear that Tom Hanks is in this thing. Although I'd say he's only in about a quarter of the whole thing, uh, all told. Um, you know, it, it was uh, a TV movie that went out on the uh, 28th of December, 1982, on CBS. Um, and, you know, it's, it's an hour and 40 minutes uh, of, I don't know what. Um, joining me to Pure talk about... shit. <laughs> Joining me to talk about today is Gina Radcliffe and Lindsay Busco. Hello, Gina and Lindsay. Hello. Hello. Returning from episode zero for me. Yeah, so, I mean, I'd never seen this film before, um, but I, before we get into it, I just want to kind of talk about, obviously, what happened in between, uh, you know, the, the previous film where Tom Hanks had, like, a tiny cameo um, and this film, which is he did two seasons of Buzz and Buddies. Uh, along with Peter Scolari and Donna Dixon and Holland Taylor um, and uh, Wendy Jo Sperber. I think that's how you say that name. I think I've seen her on a few TV shows. Apparently, the theme tune was My Life by Billy Joel. Uh, and then they later changed it for syndication because obviously they couldn't keep afford to pay uh, Billy Joel. Uh, the, sh- the show was actually shortened because of a strike that was going on. Uh, by SAG uh, sometime in like 1980 uh, it affected you know a number of uh, a number of kind of TV shows um, and you know it was doing okay in the ratings uh, and then uh, ABC kept throwing it around the schedules and inevitably <laughs> its ratings went down it was renewed for a second season and then it was kind of abruptly cancelled I have never seen the show because it was never shown in this country um, I don't even think I've seen it on like um cable channels over here where they'll they'll kind of show older kind of american tv shows um so i'm kind of aware of the premise and what it was about a little bit um but i i think gina is the expert on this one so you know i'll leave her to kind of fill everybody in on what buzz and buddies was if they weren't aware yeah i uh i weirdly loved this show as a child i had no idea why um basically the, the premise if you were to explain the premise now it sounds absolutely horrifying and offensive in every way possible but somehow they managed to pull it off because, again, Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari are in- incredibly charming in-, in it. And you almost kind of forgive them for, for what they're doing in this show. Um, it's kind of an extended gag on how expensive it is to live in New York City. So they play, they are two advertising, junior advertising executives who uh, unable to, who get kicked out of their, their uh, apartment and unable to quickly find an affordable replacement, they move into an apartment building that is meant for ladies only. So this requires them to dress in drag and take on female personas. Now, the whole idea is much like how uh, Tootsie would be a couple years later, is that it, you know, in, in pretending to be women, it kind of turns them into better men. Um, but again, it's not... I don't think either Bosom Buddies or Tootsie would really fly now, um, but uh, they, they are products of their, their time period. But as far as, you know, things with that concept, it, it's pretty inoffensive to, to me anyway. Other people would, you know, might disagree, and I, of course, respect that. Um, but it's just, it's pretty funny. I, 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 I it's very, it, it's very oddly charming. Yeah, um, uh, and I think obviously people these days will know what's weird is peter scolari to me looks like he's like really aged like he looks his age whereas tom hanks obviously doesn't look as old as peter scolari and yet they're like a year's difference in age which is kind of um so i think life has obviously been a bit harsher to peter scolari than uh, tom hanks these days um i when i said mary jo sperber wendy jo sperber sorry i i was remembering her because of course she was in um back to the future um Yes, yeah. and she did a lot. Of, she did a lot of '80s television uh, and movies. Yeah, and I think we'll obviously talk about her a little bit more because uh, she's also in Bachelor Party, uh, along with Tom Hanks. Um, so I don't know if maybe he because obviously this was after that was after Buds and Buddies. Maybe I don't know. He had a word with the producers or something. It was like maybe you know consider Wendy for this whatever role that she is in that. She's really funny. Yeah, she's really funny. Yeah. yeah. So you know, 
Um, and obviously, uh, I mean, you know, tragically, she died in uh, in two thousand five. Uh, I think it was cancer. I think. Yeah, I think yeah. I think she had breast cancer. Yeah. So because she was like a cancer advocate for some time. Yeah. So at the age of forty seven, which is you know a little bit young. Uh, so, so yeah, so that so obviously Buzz and Buddies was kind of a success. Uh, what's what's funny is that there was only thirty seven episodes, and it was basically kind of cancelled after two seasons. And yet, I think because Tom Hanks obviously is a big star, it's one of those things that is kind of you know well remembered. Yeah, like like with like with uh, like with he knows you're alone. I think if anybody else had played this role, it wouldn't have worked. And then obviously from that, you know, uh, CBS obviously you know tapped Tom Hanks, and they were like, "Do you want to come and do uh, Monsters and Mazes, Mazes and Monsters?" Uh, I keep wanting to say it the other way around for some reason. Um, and, you know, they were like, uh, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, so Tom Hanks is, is I don't know, in this film? Is he in this film? It's such a, it's a this film is so... He's he's in it, but he looks, it's probably one of his worst performances because he just looks, he looks so embarrassed. It's like, it's like, it's like he, it's like he agreed on, on concept to be in the movie and then looked at the script like, well, I God, think it, like, it is important yeah. to note that I mean, this is one of his early, um, larger roles, right? Um, in a movie. And it's very apparent yeah. in this role, even though it's not his best acting, he has got it. Like, he, he has that charisma, you know, that charm that you talked about. Um, like, it's all there. He's not, he's no. not great, but he's, be- right, he's not great, but he's better than everybody else in the movie. Oh, yeah, like, by, like, leaps and bounds. Like, he's just dealing with the material he's been given. <laughs> and he's doing the best job he can. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I, I think I can briefly sum the film up as this, which is um, Tom Hanks is at college. He's not, Funny enough, it takes, like, ten minutes before this, this film actually gives us any Tom Hanks. Um, and it takes 20 minutes before we actually get to, you know, what the film is actually about. Um, but we, we kind of follow uh, Chris Makepeace as JJ, um, who is, well, I mean, his main personality is that he wears hats. He, that's he, his main, like, that's literally an his entire... He's an eccentric, and you can tell because of the hats. Because he wears hats, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and also he has a minor bird that he insists on taking with him everywhere. Um, and let's that put it like this. Bird. The, the minor bird gives a better performance than Chris Makepeace in this in this film. Um, you know, every time someone says to the bird, can it talk? He goes, but the, the bird itself goes, birds can't talk, which is, I don't know, probably the best thing in this entire film. It made me laugh a couple of times because I was like, that's such a, that's such a, like a, a kind of, you know, this is not a pipe type thing to do to a bird, to have it say birds can't talk. Um, anyway, yeah. So, um, yeah. So JJ is, has got this kind of eccentric, wealthy mother who keeps redecorating his room, um, which we'll get into. Um, but he's, you know, he's a, he's a fan of mazes and monsters, uh, which is a role-playing game. Uh, when he goes to college, you know, he's promised he's promised people he won't play it anymore, but he insists on playing it still uh, with his friend uh, Kate and Daniel. Um, and then Robbie kind of joins, and he becomes the fourth member, because you need a fourth member, apparently, to play this particular game. Um, and then, um, as they're playing, they kind of get bored with just playing the game. And so Robbie, I think, like, invents LARPing. And... and <laughs> he's trying. Yeah, and, and and they 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 decide they're going to larp in some caverns, uh, Pequod caverns, um, which are you know some kids went disappeared there a few years ago or something like that. There's a reason to not go to these caverns. Most of most most of it would be because they're caverns. I wouldn't want to go to caverns. Um, but anyway, um, as as the things go on, Robbie keeps kind of like hallucinating a monster, um, and he ends up you know uh, taking on the role of the character that he has um, you know he's got in the game. Uh, he's in a relationship with Kate, uh, and then he's out of a relationship with Kate <laughs> pretty quickly. Um, and then he keeps talking about uh, the Great Hall and he's you know the two towers, uh, which is you know obviously a Tolkien reference. Um, and then um, you know his friends think he's disappeared in the caverns, but he hasn't disappeared in the caverns. There's a really funny thing where the policeman says. Um, we haven't found a body, but if he's in the caverns, he's dead, which I thought was a great kind of like, <laughs> doesn't really reassure the friends. Um, uh, but it turns out the Robbie's in New York City, uh, the, the sleazy New York of the early 80s. Um, he, I love it. I love it's it. It's good. It's good New York. <laughs> right with that, sa- got that saxophone music. Mm, oh, yeah. Especially, especially when you have that, you know, um, uh, that night jazz that plays that lets you know. <laughs> <laughs> that you're a little bit in danger, you know? Yeah. And uh, and so he gets chased by a person who he thinks is a monster, so he stabs the person. 
um, uh, which I, which I th- which is a kind of funny. I don't know. It's a f- I thought it was a bit funny. Um, and then he decides he's going to go to the Twin Towers uh, of 9-11 fame and jump off the top because he thinks he can fly. And his friends managed to get there and say, don't do that. And then, you know, uh, we finish the film with them going to meet Robbie, who is still under the illusion that he is Pardue, which is his character, and that he's living in an inn and that his parents are the innkeepers. And it ends with some voiceover with Kate saying, we, we played the game again one last time, which I suggest that they're going to kill him. But, you know, um, maybe they're just not going to go and see him ever again because he seems like he's a little bit crazy. Um, yeah, so that's the film. Like, basically, uh, you know, guy gets too much into LARPing, goes to New York, stabs a guy, tries to jump off the, the two towers. Uh, twin towers, should I say. Well, uh, well, here's the thing. This is, like, part of, uh, uh, this is a little bit before you guys' time, but it's it's, it's a little, it's part of this uh, one of the many scaremongering things of the mm-hmm. 80s, in which uh, people, parents were very afraid of Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Uh because they thought that you know it was going to make kids worship Satan or or kill themselves, which you know there's never been a single case of a murder or suicide that could be directly attributed to Dungeons and Dragons. But th- but this thing was played out for a a, a very long yeah. time. Part of that satanic panic, right? Yeah, it, it, until until satanic panic took yeah. over. Yeah, which I could talk about for hours. <laughs> well, yeah, I I of course you know obviously the mazes are the dungeons and the monsters are the dragons. Uh, yes. So, you know, extremely well disguised there, Rona Jaffe. Uh, well, well done for kind of, uh, you know, perplexing us. Yeah, she 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 turned out a book uh, loosely based on like a, a kid who who committed suicide, who and you know everybody just assumed it was because he played this game. She turned the book out in like weeks. Yeah, this is this. and what's weird is like looking at her kind of um, like her works. It feels like more of an opportunist move. Like she saw a good story. <laughs> she she doesn't really have like a um, like a kind of a Christian uh, moralistic bent to it, uh, which is kind of nice because they go into the mental health issues that um, Robbie, you know, um, Tom Hanks's character has um, that add to you know his kind of um, disassociation and his hallucinations. Um, that it's not necessarily the game, which I think is her um, in the way she wrote the book. And also something um, that I thought was interesting was um, I'm pretty sure because of um, the the subjects that she writes about that the book is the the um, Kate character um, as the main character and experiencing this and retelling it to somebody, um, which is why Tom Hanks, Robbie, does not feel like a main character in this movie where he's on screen a lot. <laughs> uh, what, I, what I love about this, obviously, you know, uh, we start in media res. Um, with <laughs> with the funniest kind of like police news reporter exposition <laughs> in yeah. history where where a reporter is outside the cavern and like a police officer comes up and he's literally just arrived like this a detective or whatever and he's like can you tell us what's going on this is the reporter and the police detective's like no I've just got here and it's like why write the scene like that why write him a, why write <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense Oh yeah, like the cops of this like treat these kids playing this game like they're like a bunch of like they're like they're selling heroin to fourth graders. <laughs> they're just so like disgusted by this game that they're playing. Yeah, but they say yeah. a game of, a game of mazes and monsters got out of hand, and then the reporter to camera, which he obviously is us, says, you know, mazes and monsters is a role playing game. <laughs> he kind of explains the whole <laughs> the whole rules of it, and it's it's like oh, okay, I mean. I can I understand exactly why they did it, and I kind of, but it, but that reporter only appears again when we when we finally loop around and we end up back at this uh, this in media res opening. So it's weird that he's even in the film, like he's just there to tell us what you know. But then we spend the next twenty minutes being told over and over again what Mason Monsters is, and it's like, why did we need the reporter if you were just going to show us these like four different like super waspy families arguing over monsters and mazes, like just. Just start there. Just start with with you know um, JJ getting home, and yeah, introducing the group one by one. Yeah, just start with that. You know, and and the whole stuff with JJ, the hats. I I mean seriously, he wore no less than eleven hats, <laughs> and I can tell you because I counted them. I he wore uh, a um, what I'm thinking is a German style uh, military helmet from like the. 19th century that pointy helmet hat 
He wore one of those. He wore a baby blue cowboy hat. He wore an aviator cap and glasses, which also doubled as his as his motorcycle helmet. Not safe, JJ. Uh, he wore a yellow construction helmet with a tux because he's eccentric. Uh, he wore a mining helmet. He wore a gray cowboy hat. He wore a plaid fedora. He wore a straw uh, uh, pith, like an English colonizer hat. He wore uh, a bucket hat twice. And he also wore a deer stalker. Like Sherlock when they were trying to solve the mystery of where Robbie went. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he yeah. a lot of his personality is hats, uh, which is wild. But they also use it, funny enough, to show growth. Like when he realizes that like Kate's never going to be interested in him because he's a 16-year-old. <laughs> um, yeah. After that point where he like goes and like kind of like self-reflects a little bit, talks to, to Merlin and Merlin comforts him by saying, poor JJ. <laughs> yeah. yeah. After that, there's no more hats. He's grown. That kid, that 16-year-old boy is now a 16-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> that, left screen, that left screenwriting, man. Right. I mean, that is sh- like that is just showing an arc of a character, full character development. <laughs> The, the funniest thing about it is, of course, is when he when he he gets introduced and you know he's talking to his mom who has redecorated his bedroom to look like a, a bathroom, like tiled it all. It looks awful. Yeah. Um, and yeah. he says he says that she does this all the time. Like every time he's, he he leaves, she like redecorates his room completely and like wipes out his entire personality. Which, to be fair, it's only hats, so there's not really much to wipe out. Um, but she says he's got an IQ of 190. Um, and it's mm-hmm. like, um, okay, <laughs> like, like uh, I guess that's why he's wearing all. So the, you know he's wearing all the hats. He's smart. Yeah, and uh, what I lo- it's why we don't understand him. Honestly, <laughs> he's too smart. Each of these sketches of these kind of characters as we meet them, because then next we meet Kate, um, and she basically mm-hmm. tells her own mother her life story, <laughs> and it's like. When she's going on about her dad leaving and all this kind of stuff, and it's like, surely her mom will know that her dad left her. Like this, this shouldn't be news to her mom. Um, but she does say something which I think in 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 uh, 1982 is kind of um, rather forward thinking, where she says, "Bright girls scare them." Uh, when she's talking about you know the various uh, tribulations that uh, that they're having with men, and I was like, well, that's actually. You know, that like in 1982, that seems like fairly kind of forward thinking, uh, you know, as to why Kate is having issues with like all these dumb, dumb boys. Um, yeah, my my note for the, the Kate intro was uh, my single note for the Kate intro was men have not changed much. <laughs> that, that was it. Yeah, because uh, it was also funny when they were talking, they were talking about her father, who's like this deadbeat, left both of them at some point um, and how... Um, He's married off again, and the mom's like, "No, that's that's his wife now." And she's like, "No, you're always going to be his wife." I'm not sure if that's comforting. <laughs> to yeah, no, for the mom. no. Uh, I, but and then and then you know we meet Daniel, and he's again, he, like he's in like the waspiest environment possible, and his parents are arguing about how great he is, which is just such a weird kind of angle, um, you know, and and they're arguing about how he has a gift for computers. Um, and he's going to fix the planet and, you know, uh, and his dad's like, no more games. Um, and he's like, well, yeah, but who's going to make all the computer games? And he's like, no, 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 you're, you're going to do other things with computers. Um, yeah, computers are the future. Yeah. But what's <laughs> fu- you could do both, right. Dad. What's funny is it's like you could, you could imagine that Daniel would be the kind of person who in like 1982 would kind of like graduate and start like a small computing company that did one very specific thing that ended up being bought by Microsoft and he's now a billionaire. You know, like it's... Oh, yeah. It's, you know, but the fact that his dad's like, no, no, don't do anything with computer games. And it's like, I've, I've got to be honest with you, I think in the early 80s, the big like growth area was computer games and not not like spreadsheets. Like what else were people doing on computers in like 1982? You know, like... Um, so, yeah, I, but I just like how both his parents are arguing about how great he is. Um, and then later on, when he's when JJ's talking to Daniel, there's a conversation where he talks about how, yeah. how <laughs> his poor sad life, yeah. and how and how you know how how good looking Daniel is compared to him, and I, it's, I don't know, it's I, I yeah, Daniel Daniel like boohooing over the fact that like everybody calls him the makeout champion. 
<laughs> and that makes it hard for him with ladies is very funny to me. <laughs> so, you know, uh, but uh, you know, th- so we get these little sketches of the three characters and then obviously they all inevitably end up at Grant University uh, where Robbie is being transferred. Um, and he, his parents are also arguing, which is kind of, yeah, it's like, it's like a bunch of like, it's a bunch of like rich white people problems. Yeah. Uh, particularly as, as Robbie's dad keeps, keeps saying to his wife, you drink too much. And like over and over again, he's like, immediately like that, that was wild. He's like, are you drunk? Have you had, have you had too much wine this morning? It's just like, okay. Like I get it. She's a lush, but it's like. I, I mean, their other their other son has died, or well, he's disappeared. He's disappeared, and nobody so, yeah, knows. No wonder. Yeah, that, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good reason to be drunk all the time. I would, yeah, yeah I would certainly say that. Um, but yeah, so you know, and then obviously, uh, Robbie sees on the notice board the the kind of um, the the maces and monsters notice that's been put up there by JJ. But I like how um, Kate kind of checks in with JJ and is like, "Have you advertised? You know, the game that we play?" <laughs> and it's, like, it's like, Kate, it's you know, it's not that complicated. You just put a piece of paper on a court board like um you know there's i don't think there's that many updates to be given on on that particular thing um but i do like that jj hangs out like kind of in the i don't know like the rec room looking at the cork board all day long <laughs> waiting for someone to <laughs> just waiting for somebody to <laughs> glance at it yeah and then and you know obviously robbie gives it kind of like a sideway glance as he's like taking his tray to you know empty whatever's on it into the the bin or something and immediately jj's like in his face like you know asking him questions about mazes monsters um so yeah i mean i admire jj's kind of enthusiasm but buddy you know just you put the piece of paper up just let somebody call the number you know like don't uh you know don't hassle people um you know it it just seems like a, a bit of overkill um, but yeah, so I, I, I think I think it takes a while before we finally we kind of get the setup that basically, uh, you know, everybody is being told to not play mazes and monsters. Um, yes. You know, apart from Kate, I don't think her mom's that concerned. Um, you know, she's more concerned, I think, about her daughter's welfare than whether or not she's playing a fantasy game. Um, but certainly the boys are being pressured to not play the game. So, of course, the first thing they immediately do is start playing a game of Mazes and Monsters. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, you know, or should I say, um, you know, they meet uh, they meet Robbie at the uh, Brigitte, the Brigitte Bardot party, which is such a weird concept. Yep. Um, yeah, but, J- but you forget, JJ is an eccentric. <laughs> so, <laughs> of course he's going to throw a party for Brigitte Bardot's birthday. And of course, his bird Merlin is going to be able to say, happy birthday, Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, d- I did kind of like that, you know, Robbie is like, is is she turning up? Like, and he's like, I don't know, maybe <laughs> yeah. I'll ask her next year. Like, it's, uh, I don't know. But yeah, so that's where Kate meets Robbie. And they both find out that they are both on level nine of Mazes and Monsters. So, Which is also just <laughs> hilarious. I play D&D. Yeah. I play Pathfinder. I play role-playing games of all sorts. Um, that's not a conversation that <laughs> <laughs> a level nine? Oh my! You must be so good. Level doesn't really matter. Oh my god! <laughs> and that like they're all that the whole idea that like he fits into the group because he's also the same level is also wild. Also, the idea that you yeah. need absolutely need four players, but that's me. Oh yeah, no, this is this is written by people who didn't bother to talk to no. people who actually play this game. It's you know they, they had the, a very vague idea of how it's played and just kind of took it from there. And I think the smartest thing that they did, the choice that they made with this movie, is to not bother themselves with the rules at all. Like they they barely like you see oh no two die in this game. Like they're not they're not going to get into it. You're going to see a map. You're going to get the aesthetics, but they're not going to get into like the the heavy rule following of actual D and D or any role playing. Right, because they know they. Right, because they know the target audience for this is just going to be like, I don't care. Yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm not get, get to the get to the part where this is melting these kids' brains. Yeah, there's there's a point like in the beginning when they play their first like introduction game. Um, <laughs> Daniel is going on about how he's the maze controller, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he um, like opens by like um, bringing his like palms down, and you see like two dice, and he's like, I am the authority, whatever. They're d twelves. They're two d twelves, which is are some of the most rare dice like that you would ever use and they're usually used for like um rolling your like hit points on something why a dm would choose to have 2d12s in his hand when he's explaining like you know we're playing this you know this this role playing game is wild in and of itself so i'm glad that they just 
were like, let's let's just not even bother <laughs> with how this game's actually played at all. Because you're right, Gina. It's not the point. <laughs> yeah, they, they yeah. cut. Kind of, they're, they're not interested in that aspect of it. They just kind of montage it. They're like, here's some pages with some yeah. words on, and, and here's some some dice being rolled, and that's it. You know, like that's they montage. Well, that's what kids. The kids would do. What the kids would do is they turn off all the lights. They find all the candles they could. Yeah. Um, just steal all the candles from all the other rooms. Yeah, the can- candles are very candles are very important here. Yeah, you can only do this game in candlelight, um, or in a cave. That that's really really it. Um, and yeah, it's just them yeah. um, talking about the things they do without ever rolling um, for anything, which is fine. <laughs> I th- I think it's funny as well. Of course, you know, inevitably, uh, given that Tom Hanks is, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of just you know super charming, uh, Kate immediately gets together with Tom Hanks. Um, like that's just kind of like mm-hmm. a given, like straight away. But do you blame her? Yeah. I well, mean. no. I mean, you know, he obviously he's even even in this film, he he his charm kind of keeps coming through. Uh, even when he's trying to play like kind of weirdly robotic schizophrenic what you know whatever that whatever condition they're kind of um, putting on him towards the end you know he's still 20 times better than everybody else around him so um, oh yeah 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 you know totally. so but although i would you know i think you know it's it's also worth saying that uh wendy crewson who plays uh kate um you know she's uh yeah she's okay in the role like i don't think she's given a like kind of after the first scene with her mother, she's not really kind of given a, a huge amount to do other than kind of, you know, she's with Tom, she's with Tom Hanks, then she's with Daniel, and then they go looking for Daniel, um, Tom Hanks. And that's like, she's not, I mean, there's not a huge amount of growth. Um, but, you know, I think she kind of does, she does it kind of okay with what she's, what she's been given. Um, you know, she's, she's, she's better than the film in the same way that Tom Hanks is. Um, you know, I think, I think, uh, I think the other two guys, uh, you know, are probably on the level of the film <laughs> you know um you know uh, and and later on like the detective who kind of comes in and stuff i think they're all kind of roughly on the level of the film i don't think they're better than it but i would say that wendy cruisen is probably one of the only ones who kind of is given a little bit more um you know than than the other guys um you know even as tom hanks is kind of you know trying to play this kind of uh, zoned out kind of teen um you know I, I i think he he's you know you can't you can't stop tom hanks sometimes in some later films that i talk about in this podcast you can stop tom hanks um but you know it'll take a while before we get there yeah no his flame was way too bright at this point like it was just you know he, he was i mean this kind of catapulted him into the career that he eventually had because i'm sure people saw this and saw that he whatever like even in this film which is trash um he is something he is worth watching yeah um now as as the film goes on we get closer to halloween um and uh, robbie keeps he starts to see monsters in his dreams uh he starts to dream about um uh, i think they say the great hall uh we find out that his brother was called hall hall is that what they called his brother i like yeah his dad's also called hall yeah his dad is hall his older brother's hall I, I don't think I'll ever understand the names that wasps give to their kids. It's such a weird... Uh, I guess it only works really for the film, <laughs> for him to be called Hall. Um, uh, but yeah, so... Um, and, the, and, you know, JJ obviously is getting a bit more... You know, the fact that he's kind of... He's getting a bit more kind of antsy, I feel. Like, you know, he talks about... Uh, he talks about kind of the, the caverns. Um, you know, they kill his character in the game, uh, which feels a bit, like, kind of rude. Um, <laughs> like, you know. I mean, he he did do a no no, so well, he got got. <laughs> yeah, but you, you just don't go jumping into pits and expect your character to make it alive without you know investigating it first. You know, but, I, I guess, but yeah, I, he's yeah. he was in his feelings. He was because he he his character got killed. Robbie was in Kate's room when he stopped by, and you know yeah. he's he's got a IQ of 190 so he knew exactly what that was as soon as he saw it um and yeah cuz it was this started because JJ thought oh i'll make people remember me cuz no one remembers me no one cares about me i'll go you know off myself in oh what did he what did he call it um i have it here um he he goes spelunking yeah he goes the to the the, the Pequods? He goes to the Pequod... Pequod, Pequod Caverns. Yeah. The, the Mysterious Forbidden Pequod Caverns. <laughs> yeah. He's like, don't remember me if I go commit suicide there. Which yeah. is the whole reason 
he discovers LARPing, basically. Yeah, that I, which I think is kind of funny that, like, um, I mean, I'm not sure if either of you have ever seen the film Role Models, starring the eternally yes. young uh, Paul Rudd and uh, uh, the less eternally young uh, guy from American Pie. Um, but obviously that is a film just that it is about LARPing, um, which is, I would say, slightly more fun than this film. Um, but... You know, like, the fact that he's like, we should play Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, I'm not going to keep calling it Mazes of Monsters, because that's ridiculous. Um, but we should play Dungeons & Dragons, but in the caverns, and we should dress up as our characters. It's like, well, that's it. We've invented live-action role-playing in, in 1982. Um, kind of just all, kind of by accident, which I thought was quite funny. I mean, I, I personally don't know exactly when kind of, like, live-action role-playing became, like, a big thing. Um, although I certainly remember kind of like in the early 2000s kind of like reading stuff about it um, but you know in, to do it in 1982 is certainly revolutionary um, but effectively all you've done you've gone from a dark room which is lit merely by candles to a dark cavern that is merely lit by candles um, which is I'm going to guess is pretty cold those caverns aren't going to be warm um, so I, I, like I don't know like it's I, I, it's it's kind of weird. Well, I guess you know they're they're wanting to get deeper into the game. It it's kind of cool, you know. I guess in a way because yeah. they're in an actual maze, um, of sorts. But yeah, it, it's another weird thing too because one, it was amazing to me that they were able to get those costumes together <laughs> in such a short uh, amount of time because the costumes that they show up in at the caverns are like really good. Um. Yeah, it's like they stole. It's like they. It's like they stole from the drama department or something. And maybe yeah. they did because JJ, he's a sneak. Yeah. And it sounds like he had some attachment to the theater department, so he might have gone in there and just stole some costumes. Um, and the other thing too is like, LARPing also um, is very rule based, <laughs> and what they're doing, like just like when they actually play their bases and monsters, really has no discernible rules to it. <laughs> you just kind of go in and do an act, um, which is wild. Because um, it doesn't really seem like they have a real plan going in there. Um, and They kind of talk about JJ like hiding some treasure in the caverns and drawing some maps and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, but it just doesn't seem like there's any kind of, like you say, there's no rules to it. It's just like wandering around in caverns and they keep frightening each other because it's dark. Uh, and you're like, it's probably very cold and very wet, and I don't, I don't know where the enjoyment is here. Quite frankly, <laughs> it's just a random and wandering around. I will say something that took me out of this fantasy completely <laughs> um, was while there are no rules apparently in the way that they play their their RPG, their LARP, um, they instantly in in the caves instantly break like the number one rule of like Dungeons and Dragons style role-playing games, which is you never split the party. And if they had been yeah. playing, if they were all level nines, they would have known, they would have, would have learned that lesson by now that you never split the party. Because what happens is your monk goes insane. <laughs> That's apparently what happens yeah. um, in real life is that you lose touch with reality if you split the party in a cavern. Yeah, this is this is where Robbie starts to starts to see this particular monster, um, um, which I'm trying to remember what the name is. It's some ridiculous name. What Gorville? I think is that the name that he gives to it. Um, I think that's it. Yeah. So, uh, which I, who I think is I don't think it's confirmed in the credits, but um, Kevin Peter Hall is in the credits, um, who I think was the predator in the film Predator. Um, oh, that makes sense. So I'm, and ha of course he was, you know, Harry from Harry and the Hendersons as well. Um, so I think he's playing the role of the monster uh, when it's in the when it's in the costume. Um, that makes sense to me at least. Um, but yeah, and then of course I think after this, this is the point where um, Kate breaks up with um, Robbie um, because he is now he is now imagining that he is his character Pardew, who is a cleric and must stay celibate. Therefore, he breaks up with Kate. So That's a pretty good reason to break up with someone, honestly. When you think about it, it's fair. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, I mean, who hasn't? You know, I mean, we've all been to college. You know, it happens inevitably. Someone you're going out with thinks that they're a cleric and insists that they have to maintain their celibacy and breaks up with you. So you know, uh, it happens. Tale as old as time. Um, and this is especially when you hear Kate say, 
not again, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's like, oh. It's like, wait, Kate, what, what is up with you in your past relationships that this keeps happening where the dude just is suddenly like, sorry, I can't touch anymore. We got, we got a break. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, maybe that's why, that's maybe that's why her father left her mother, you know, like uh, he was, he was maintaining his celibacy. Um, but then this is where we get the the kind of um, this is kind of where we lose Robbie a little bit. Like Tom Hanks kind of disappears a little bit from this film as it becomes a lot more about uh, Daniel and Kate. Um, and Kate, you know, Daniel kind of talks about how he he thought he was who did he think he was? Um, oh, he thought he was Spock from Star Trek. You know, yeah. Mister Spock from Star Trek. They say it a couple of times because I think at this point Star Trek had only just like had one film out and then was about to release like Wrath of Khan. So it wasn't kind of in the culture as much um, as obviously it has come to be in, in later years. So I do kind of like how he, he's almost explaining to Kate who Spock is. Uh, yeah, you, you know, Mr. Spock from Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. yeah. From the, from the TV, from the CBS TV series, Star Trek. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then of course she explains that he's, he's not Spock. Um, you know, because obviously Spock has no emotions. Not correct, because obviously we know in, you know, particularly in, in later films, Spock did show emotions because he, obviously he's half human. Um, but, you know, let's gloss over that. Uh, instead, he's the Tin Man, um, apparently, from The Wizard of Oz. Um, and and because he didn't know that he had such a big heart. Um, and so that's why Kate decides to get involved with him, because he's not Mr. Spock. He's the Tin Man. Um, so... And I mean, he's also the makeout champion. So, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure Kate's heard. Uh, well, I, 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 well, then of course this is where we get to like a Halloween party, um, JJ's Halloween party. Uh, where what was JJ wearing at this Halloween party? I can't remember. He, he was, was uh... wearing a. Um, oh, this is the second Halloween party, or no? This is the first party was Bridget Bardot. This is this is the Halloween party, and that was the yellow. That was the yellow construction helmet with the tux. The second Halloween party. This yes. is where he grew. No, um, he had no hat on he's no coward isn't he that's the he's playing that's he's it playing yeah. yeah um and of course uh robbie comes dressed as pardue because he is now pardue um uh, so uh, you know and and his friends are confused because obviously they see him in costume um at the halloween party and they think he's still playing the game with some other people um but you know on this college campus there are literally only four people who play mazes and monsters and three of them are in this group um and robbie is the fourth one so you know um and they they kind of find some maps that say you know the two towers and and the great hall and all this kind of stuff um and again i like the fact that they have to explain that the two towers is like a reference to tolkien uh, which obviously (laughs) these days you don't need to explain that anymore um but yeah so they kind of they kind of like they this is where they kind of start searching for him like i say this is really where tom hanks kind of disappears a little bit from the film um and you we kind of loop back to the opening where the the reporter is giving us a rundown of a mazes and monsters game that went too far um by what he means i don't know they played some new rules but they did it in a cavern like i mean i don't know how how that's going too far but uh, they made it too real man <laughs> yeah and and this is this is this is where we get this kind of scene with the uh the like the detective um and he explained like they they it's what's funny is they like they the detective i think is called martini and they leave like the map in an envelope on his car and then 30 seconds later they go to the police station and he's got the map in front of them and i'm like why did they do that like why did they leave it anonymously and then show up and talk to him about it it's such a weird uh, yeah they have a whole thing where they're like trying to hide the evidence that they're involved somehow um, because they don't want to be blamed yeah. for Robbie's whatever, um, but they're still trying to help the investigation without being, you know, um, suspects. Which is why you show up as a group to the police department. <laughs> yeah, and he and and this is where the detective says to them, he says he kind of talks as if they know he knows that Robbie's dead, and then he goes, "Well, to be honest with you, we haven't found a body." Oh yeah, that's what. Part is like they're like they're just they just assume that he has died, which is like that that seems like shoddy police work. Yeah, it's been a day. <laughs> like, and then and then he says to them, "We haven't found a body, but if he went into those caverns, he's dead." <laughs> I was like, "That's a big jump. You can't just uh, well, you can't just assume that." Um, yeah, no. The, I mean, it's like they know something that no one. Well, they are mysterious um, caverns. 
I'm, I'm sure they're like, well, <laughs> well, you know. well, the Fraggles got him now. <laughs> There's no. That's it. He's. But then, and then this is when we move into the kind of final portion of the film, which is uh, Robbie in New York. Um, that's pretty much the like. Where is Robbie gone? Is he in the caverns? No, he's not in the caverns. There was no need to send a reporter there and a bunch of police cars and all the rest of it because he's not in the caverns. Um, you know, so he's definitely not dead. Um, he's in New York. Uh, wandering around, like we said, with this kind of saxophone music and everything playing. Oh yeah, New York, New York at its shittiest. I, I love it. It's so great. Yeah, very gritty New York City. You, you, you expect to see, you expect to see, like you expect to see, like Travis Bickle just driving by in his cab. <laughs> yeah, and it's very, very distressed jazz. Like, <laughs> I almost feel like the camera's a little bit wobbly too as he's walking around. Yeah, Tom Hanks is kind of, oh, yeah. kind of like. Like just out of it, which I'm guessing in kind of late seventies New York, people just didn't look twice at that kind of thing. They're like, "Oh, that guy looks no, like he's no. he's off his head on drugs." Well, you know that's New York. Uh, you know, welcome to New York, as Taylor Swift says. Um, and and so of course he sees the monster again. Uh, he gets chased down for some reason. I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, it just kind of happens. I guess it's New York. Um, and he st- he stabs the guy with like his tiny his tiny sword. Uh, which is in his imagination because in real life it's a tiny knife and he basically just stabs the guy uh, but he sees a monster lying on the floor Um, and then he does a collect call to Kate and he says that you know he's got blood on his knife (laughs) and she's I I, I mean I guess she's glad to hear from him but then she's like go to JJ's house which is uh, 605th East 70th Street Um, and then he, he decides to take the subway but then the subway is like a maze to him uh, a different maze, and yeah, so it's a type of maze. He, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, some of those stations are. You know, they're very hard to kind of. You know, if you're trying to figure out which line you're trying to get on, uh, I guess they are kind of maze-like. Um, but for some reason, he keeps trying like doors and just bumping up against them. And the, and the funniest thing about it is, the first one he bumps up against, it doesn't open, and I don't know why they put that in, like because because. <laughs> Then the second one does open. I'm like, why didn't you? Why did you just let, just let him get in the first door? Why why have him fail at the first door and then succeed at the second? It, it's called suspense, Darren. Well, uh, well, yeah, I guess, I guess. I mean, this I, this is exactly what Alfred Hitchcock would talk about when he talked about suspense. Uh, exactly, just ha- exactly. Just uh, by the way, people... I did look up um, the address that they gave for JJ's uh, oh, yeah. house. Um, it, yeah. it actually is uh, now um, part of New York Presbyterian Hospital. So she was just way ahead of the game, redecorating his room to look like hospital room. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's weird, actually, because they have, like, a doorman, which would suggest to me that it's, like, an apartment building or something. Um, but then it, they seem to own the entire house because they're that rich. Um, because, obviously, she's in publishing or something, they say, or she's a designer or, you know, they kind of... And she's, like, it. an interior decorator or something like that. Yeah, so so I'm, but I'm like, well, what? Like, do they just employ their own doorman? Like, that they're that wealthy that they can just have a guy stand out there? Like, some all people day? got it like that, and she does. She did you see yeah. her like entryway? It's like half mirrors. <laughs> She's got that. Money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, okay, that's a bit kind of um, that puzzled me a little bit. But yeah, so he's wandering around in the subway. His friends turn up in New York. Uh, they drive very fast through traffic, which I thought was a funny little sequence where they're like weaving in and out of traffic. Uh, and they reach the inevitable. What's funny is of course, uh, I'm sure you both remember around the time of um, Lord of the Rings, the two towers coming out in 2003, I think it was. Uh, there were some people who felt it was disrespectful to the victims of nine 11 because of the use of the uh, words. Yeah the two towers yeah even though the, even though the book was written and the book was based on written in like 1945 or yeah. something like that yeah um, and i actually live locally to where the proper two towers were because uh jr tolkien uh lived in birmingham um for, for part of his childhood so there are a couple of towers around birmingham that are actually the two towers um so you know obviously at the time people were like this is a ridiculous uh, comparison to make and then of course n- nobody had told them about mazes and monsters because that had already made the comparison i don't know 18 years earlier 20 years earlier um where jj you know has confused uh, sorry not jj uh, robbie has confused himself because he's looking for um you know the, the two towers and he has arrived at the conclusion that the 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 the, the, the twin towers are uh, you know, the World Trade Center is is where he needs to go. Um, and his friends kind of figure that out um, kind of in time. 
Um, but they do the funny thing where they kind of end up in the lobby after he's been in the lobby, and then they end up on you know going up the lifts after he's gone up the lifts, and then it's just kind of yeah. It's, it's a really exciting sequence of people <laughs> riding elevators and going up escalators. <laughs> yeah. yeah, though so much World Trade Center footage, um, like yeah, unexpected in an unexpected. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like, a, it's, almost like it's almost like a like a like a like a like a travel promotion. Yeah, like I, it makes me wonder if um, you know. Uh, they did it as a, like promotional, um, but yeah, it was uh, interesting to see. Um, and I, I will yeah. say, one of the greatest scenes happens at the top when they make it to the observation deck, um, and there is thankfully someone has made a clip of it, and put it on YouTube. Um, but Tom Hanks like cry talking and saying, "JJ, what am I doing here?" is like. James Vanderbeek level like cry gif like cry gif like it's yeah he's he's like he's like lucid for like the first time in like yeah. an hour and a half of the movie yeah yeah he is full like full T Hanks going on there yeah and of course this is where JJ insists that he is he is the maze controller um mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is what breaks Robbie <laughs> out of his spell um he's like I am the maze controller and you you can't jump off the twin towers and fly. <laughs> so he's like okay I guess those are the rules I guess. Um good enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so that kind of that kind of finishes it. And then we kind of and then I uh, kind of almost straight away we're like you know 6 months later whatever like we we we're, we're in the future. Um you know the 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 kind of the friends are driving in the car because they're going to go and see Robbie. Uh, Kate apparently is writing a book about their experiences, which I don't know, like going to New York and finding your friend after like 30 minutes is not really the basis for a good book, but you know, who knows? Um, and you know, they're talking about how handsome Daniel is, uh, who to be honest with you has barely done anything for like the, the last hour in this film. Um, after he got together with Kate, he kind of ceased to be that interesting. I mean, he's like Kate um, support at that point. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Yeah. And then obviously JJ is no longer wearing hats. So yep, we've come. We've Big come he's because he's matured. He's yeah, he's gonna be grown up in six. Yeah, he's grown up in experience. He has fully, yeah. and now he's gonna be a director. Um, he's he's gonna make it. After yes, all. he's. He- He's taken over the theater department or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get we get to Robbie, who is I think still dressed as Pardew, isn't he? Or uh, and um, and to- oh, yeah, now he's got this kind of now he's got this kind of like he, not only is he dressed up, he's got this kind of vague English accent. Where he like, <laughs> yeah. he, like sound, he sounds like he sounds like someone who's like working at a Renaissance fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, so it. he. And he 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 kind of pay, he talks about the innkeepers, which are his parents, and how he pays them each day, and um, this like magic coin reappears, and uh, and you're like, I I don't know that this is particularly healthy for these parents to be doing with this guy. Like, well, I think the whole, I think I think the I think the idea he just he's so he's like completely gone. Like yeah. like you know, he had, he had his, he had his moment of lucidity on top of the you know on top of the tower, and then for whatever reason he just went right back into the into the uh, into character the. Uh, yeah, the, the delusion. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and there so are people whose like mental states are such that it, it's just um, healthier for them um, to kind of play into what it is they believe that they're living. You know. I mean, I guess. I mean, obviously, his did end up with him almost jumping off the twin towers. So mm-hmm. uh, you know. Um, and then, of course, he talks about you know the like they they say let's play the game, and and he talks about the quest and says you know there's a lake and there's a forbidden forest that the innkeepers say not to go in and. Uh, and then Kate gives us some voiceover saying that you know they played one last time. Like I said, suggest that they're going to kill him, but uh, you know yeah. they, they put it. They put a pillow. They put a pillow over his <laughs> yeah. face. They, they um, walk walk to uh, walk to this forest off screen, and then you hear a gunshot. <laughs> 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 that, that is how. <laughs> yeah, I I mean I guess JJ just doesn't want to be forgotten, so he's willing to to murder to <laughs> yeah. to kind of be notorious. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of where the film ends. We're just like Robbie, who when we met him, his parents were arguing, and his dad was basically calling his mom a lush. And then at the end, they're pretending to be innkeepers so that he can kind of keep his fantasy alive. It's it's kind of I don't know. It's it's kind of weird. Oh, I did. I should mention, of course, Daniel. Also, when they're in the car talking about their futures, he says he's going to do something about computers or something, doesn't he? He kind of mentions that again. Yeah, he listens to us. He's uh, he's like, I'm going to completely conform to my yeah. <laughs> he's like, I got the girl. Yeah, I, he's going to return to the twin towers and and work in a cubicle in there. Like that's his that's his big goal. Um, yeah, I like how their car ride is just them summarizing themselves and their futures. 
Yeah. Yeah. Kate. Kate's gonna write. Kate's gonna write the book that this movie is based on. Yeah, which uh, which is kind of weird because it's like then is this film just the kind of the adaptation of the book that she wrote about this this incident or you know like is it meant to be like true you know is it meant to be like a true life type thing or you know like how are they pitching that? Uh, but I think it's just weird that the three of them are telling each other their their own futures to the other two, <laughs> as yeah. if as if as if their friends aren't aware of what they're currently doing in life. It's such a weird kind of yeah. You've um, all been in college together this whole time, <laughs> like. <laughs> You don't need to, like, you know, talk about how uh, JJ got into the the director track (laughs) in the theater department. Uh, (laughs) You guys know. We all know you know. (laughs) That you should, you're you're the only friends that each of you have. There are no other (laughs) friends. So I don't know. Like, I mean, saying that, JJ's JJ's parties were quite bouncing. You know, there's a lot of people in there, but uh, I don't know that he really knows any of those people truly. No, um, I think he's he's the type. I mean, he's got uh, you know uh, long pockets. He's supplying a lot of booze. Yeah, they're college kids. They're going to come to his party. He certainly has that uh, um, uh, Rick Moranis in Ghostbusters throwing parties vibe, uh, where I I feel that nobody at that party uh, that Rick Moranis throws actually really know him. Like they're all like his his clients, aren't they? <laughs> That's why. Yeah. They, yeah, and it, it feels the same with JJ. It's like he's this sixteen-year-old kid who's at college for some reason, but he's got a lot of money. So people are like, "Yeah, yeah sure, I'll come to his party." Desperate for a connection and a friend group. Yeah, well, uh, so the film finishes there. Uh, that's the end of Mazes and Monsters. Fortunately, it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're now free to leave. Um, and obviously, you know, as we rank the films in this podcast, we're saying T Hanks or. No T Hanks, um, and I think uh, I, I mean I'll 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 have Lindsay go first, uh, given that you have the experience with the uh, Dungeons and Dragons and everything. So I feel like you can give us perspective on. I, I feel like I'm gonna um, go against uh, the majority here, but it's a T Hanks <laughs> for me. It's it's a T T okay. Hanks T Hanks with conditions. Like if yeah. you love Tom Hanks, want to see some raw talent on the screen, just see pure charm charisma. And you also enjoy, like, D&D media, especially when it's cheesy chintzy, which most of it is. This is a T. Hanks, for real. Okay. Well, then, Gina, uh, T. Hanks or no T. Hanks? I would say the T. Hanks, too. Like I said, it, it, I'm weirdly nostalgic about 80s scaremongering. Like, again, like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, Satanic Panic, you know, hiding razors in the in the apples and Halloween. I, I, I love that kind of stuff. I, I just think it's so funny and just, you know provides this weird nostalgic blanket for me and, and really this is just this hits all of those all those marks like something that you know kind of mysterious and like the the target audience really didn't understand and and they really don't explain it at all like they don't they're, they're very they, they very vaguely touch upon the, the rules and what the concept of the game is and they just make it sound way more you know scary and 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 you know, and, and you know, do you know what you're, are your children playing this game? And, and, you know, and I remember when, you know, there were news programs that, that, you know, had that treated it with that same kind of tone, like, well, you know, you know, you know we send our reporter to investigate what is going on <laughs> yeah. in this mysterious game. And, and, and it turned out to be a bunch of teenagers in someone's basement. And, and, you know, they couldn't make anything, you know, you know, lurid or, or scary really come out of that. And I yeah I, I think it's you know it's not a good movie but it's a it's a fun movie. No, I think you're you're right, Gina. It's that um that the perfect kind of good bad of the scary after school special. <laughs> like it's exactly right. That. Like this is this was definitely meant this was definitely meant to be shown to parents who would immediately you know go into their children's room and see if they could find like D and D books. Or, or you know, figure out what they were doing on Saturday nights when they were going to their friends' houses at all. Just, just you know, to to you keep them on their toes. I mean, for me, I would say no, T. Hanks. I, you know, I, I, I just, I mean, half of it is kind of in darkness as they're wandering around caverns, and you know, like you say, they don't explain anything apart from the very beginning when the reporter says, you know, Monsters and Mazes is a role playing game where people do this and this, you know, and I'm like, okay. And then they show you what they actually do, and they just basically sit around talking in a montage. And I'm like, I, this is not, uh, this is not exciting. Um, so you know, I by the end of it, I was like, you know, Tom Hanks kind of wandering around dazed in New York is kind of interesting to see. But I'm like, 
you know, he ends up kind of trying to throw himself off buildings. And I'm like, I this just all seems ridiculous. <laughs> and and I know that they kind of were trying to be a bit more serious, particularly when, you know, like you say, Tom, Tom is doing some kind of like crying and stuff. And you're like, oh, OK, they were, this is meant to be serious or I, I don't know. There's a guy who keeps taking his minor bird all over the place and wearing different hats. And his mom kind of like keeps redecorating his bedroom. And I didn't I don't know. The whole thing just kind of seemed was a bit of a drag. I was like, it took me. You know, I was watching it, but I was like, oh, this is I was tempted to kind of like put it on one and a half speed just to try and get through it a bit quicker. Um, but but I was like, you probably still, you probably still got, could have got the point of the movie. By <laughs> yeah. But I was just like, no, no, I'm going to have to watch it properly. That's the whole point of having a podcast is that you do things properly. Uh, but no, I just did not enjoy it. I mean, like, you know, Tom, obviously irrepressible. You can't stop him. But, you know, they, they tried a lot on this to just kind of, you know, dumb him down. Um, and the whole kind of like him stabbing a person. What happened there? I like he stabbed a person. He went and made this collect call, and then he wandered around New York a bit more. Did, like, what happened to that guy? Did he like die in that alley? Like, having been stabbed by this kid? Like, what? Uh, you know, um, at the very least, like he shouldn't be living pretending to be like in an inn with his parents being innkeepers. He should be like in juvenile hall or something for, for stabbing a guy. But yeah, no, I I really didn't enjoy it. Um, apart from the occasional bits of like at the very beginning when Tom's in the car and his parents are arguing, and he kind of keeps trying to be reasonable i thought that was nice uh but then for the rest of the film he's kind of he's missing too much you know there's too much of the other actors for my for my tastes um especially way too much jj i mean at a at a certain point i was like okay i get it you know like stop telling me he's got 190 iq you know like and it just it just felt a bit weird it's just like okay we get that this kid is like a super genius but you know i get maybe they were trying to say anybody you know like you've got the handsome jock and you've got the super genius and you've got the the, you know the kind of you know the the promising young woman and they're all playing mazes of monsters and i've got to be honest with you i i think apart from jj none of these people at college would be playing dungeons and dragons (laughs) just yeah i I did i did know um in this rewatch for me that uh these people are very good looking. It's a very good looking group for yeah <laughs> for this game in that time, but uh, but yeah, it it is it does suffer from that thing of um, it. It's very difficult to make um, a game like a role playing game interesting um, in a movie. Um, it just is because uh, the interesting interesting thing about the game is playing it and the group you're playing it with and creating a story together, which is really hard to translate to film. Um, so it's just, it truly is just hard to make it entertaining, um, the game itself. And they do a lot of the gameplay, quote unquote, um, and it just doesn't make sense to anybody because it wouldn't, they haven't like, you know, um, built yeah. up the world enough. Okay. So, well, I feel like we've, we've fully given our opinion on, uh, Mazes and Monsters. Like I said, this is the exception. This is the only TV thing I'm going to cover for Tom Hanks. Uh, this is not going to turn into a Buzz and Buddies recap or a uh, Band of Brothers recap or a, a My Big Fat Greek Life recap. Um, you know, we're going to avoid all of those. This is the only time I think we need to kind of talk about uh, anything that Tom did TV related. Um, and we're going to finish there and go to plugs. So is there anything that you wish to plug, Lindsay? Sure. Um, I write every now and then for The Spool. Um, so if you're interested in a uh, movie review um, of classics... <laughs> Um, then you can check me out there. And Gina, do you have anything you wish to plug? I am the co-host of the Kill by Kill podcast, in which we talk about horror movies according to the characters. Uh, And I also write uh, movie and TV reviews for The Spool. And you can find me on Twitter under Porcelain72. You can find this uh, podcast at the extremely awkward T underscore FT memory uh, on Twitter. Um, also, around this time, um, I'm also uh, producing uh, Knives Out Minute, which you can find on Twitter at Knives Out Minute, or you can find, I'm sure, on iTunes or various other things, whatever it's called these days. I think Apple Podcasts, um, if you search for Knives Out Minute, uh, going through Knives Out Minute by Minute, which is a film that is, I would say, uh, infinity times better than Mazes and Monsters. Um, You're not fair. I won't yeah. argue. <laughs> on a scale of one to infinity it is infinity times better um so thanks to both of you for being my guest for uh this episode thank you thank you and we will see you next time when we finally get to some cinematic um excitement and tom makes a big splash <laughs>